A friend of mine texted me late last, uh, late one night last this past week, <laughs> um, and he he said, "Have you seen the moon lately?" And uh, he's like, "You should go out and, and see the moon tonight." So it was dark when he messaged me. So I walk outside, and I can't see the moon. It's nowhere. So I have a a star watching app. Which just you know you turn it on and it orients itself to where I am and and it it tells me the stars and it can also show me where the moon is but so I get that out and I move I'm moving it around I can't find the moon but at any rate I decide just to stay outside um, I live in a city so there's a fair amount of light pollution but I could see some stars. It was a clear night. It was beautiful. I was kind of shielding my eyes from the street lights. And I just stood out there a while and watched the stars. I I do love to watch the stars. I have that star app because I like to try and know some of the constellations like Orion and uh, Scorpion, the Southern Cross, uh, the Big Dipper. I can always find the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, and I believe it's the Big Dipper that's part of Draco, the bigger constellation, Draco, uh, which is the dragon. So I was just standing out there watching the stars, and I started talking with God and just kind of ruminating and reminiscing. And lo and behold, while I'm standing there looking above the peak of my house at the, at the sky, at the stars, I see a shooting star. Which was really cool. It's actually the the Leonid meteor shower going on right now. I believe we're still in it. Uh, at that night, it was still going on, and so I, it's not really surprising in some ways. But I was like so so in awe of seeing that shooting star, which is it's always cool, right? And it reminded me when I was in my early twenties, I was traveling with a music group. I was struggling with depression. I was, I was feeling very alone. Just very sad. And um, I don't know why. I was traveling. It was in the summer. We would take an 80-day summer tour with this music group from college. And uh, I was just really struggling with being in the midst of this group, but feeling very alone and misunderstood, which sometimes being in a group can bring that out, right? But I remember we would stay at host homes at churches. We would travel and representing the college, sing at churches and or do our music program. I was staying out in the country with this one host home, and I remember just walking. It was late, looking at the sky, feeling so despondent and desperate, and praying and asking God just for a sign or something that God was there for me, and I saw a shooting star. I mean, that time, it was brilliant. It was just an amazing shooting star, and I remember how much hope it gave me in that time. And this past week, I was remembering that shooting star and just the comfort that it gave me and the wonder that I also experienced this past week just looking at the stars. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about wonder. What about the wonder? What about wonder? Do you have wonder in your life? Do you have mystery? Is everything for you mapped out and known? Or is there the adventure of mystery and wonder in your life? That's what I want to talk about today. This is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. And if you don't know, if you haven't listened before, I take, I take these talks <laughs> out into the woods. So it's early morning. It's, I don't know, late fall. Yeah, I would say it's late fall. Most of the leaves are on the ground by now. And it's cold. It's like a chilly 40 degrees. So I'm bundled up. I'm wearing red pants and a fuzzy, like, hat. That looks crazy. I probably look like a clown (laughs) walking through the woods. (laughs) But I'm bundled up. I'm warm. That's what matters. So when I was out this week just watching the stars and also later this week, I've just been talking to God about 
the beauty and the wonder of life with God, life with him and her. Like getting to do life the way that I get to do life. And I was just reflecting on all that God has taught me these past five years since my breakdown. Just how much my life has changed. And I just began to think about where God has taken me and how much I can't even comprehend. I was just thinking about if I tried to even recollect all that I know God has done, all that I even understand, I couldn't fathom it. And I just kind of had this sense, this metaphor that I'm, it's like I'm in this huge territory and I'm traveling and and I can't even tell where I am. I, I don't know where I've come from. I don't know where I'm going. I have no idea. I can't even assess my spiritual growth and progress. It's too out of my hands. And that's been the journey that I've been on. That's been the journey of a mystic. Um, that I'm trusting God. There's a really cool verse in Hebrews. I think it's chapter 11. It's the faith. It's called the faith chapter. But it, t- it starts out with this, uh, with a few verses about Jesus. It says, Therefore, the author and perfecter of our faith, uh, therefore consider, I should just look at it. <laughs> I didn't plan on doing this verse. I did look some verses up. I'm trying to be a little more uh, responsible <laughs> as a teacher. Um, but it uses this phrase, it's talking about considering the example of Jesus who suffered the cross. And it says, it calls him the author and perfecter of our faith. And that word author is archegos. It's a Greek word, archegos. It means pathfinder, trailblazer. He is the pathfinder and the trailblazer of our faith. And so I was talking about this metaphor of being in this wide, wild territory And I like that verse and that idea that Jesus is like this trailblazer going before us, marking the trail, right? A trailblazer. I don't know if you do much hiking, but I've been on some trails where they actually spray paint colors on the trees. And that's how you know where you're going. You know, most trails are walked enough to uh, create a beaten path. But this idea of a trailblazer means that Jesus is going before you into uncharted territory. And he's charting and marking a path for you to walk. It's this image of a wild adventure, a wild territory, place, places nobody's ever been before. Do you, can you get that picture? Do you know that God, for you, has a life mapped out that, that is a journey nobody else has ever taken? It's not a pre-prescribed path and purpose. It is completely tailor-made to you. That, my friends, is a life of wonder and adventure and excitement and mystery. But is that the life that you're living? Is your life full of wonder and awe and mystery? Do you feel like you're in an uncharted territory where if God didn't lead you, you wouldn't know where to go and what to do? Jesus, I love this about Jesus. Jesus displayed this childlike wonder and innocence too. I love Jesus I love how Jesus talked about his relationship with the Father. He, he talked about him and the Father being one. But he also had this, this childlike dependence on the Father. Even though he was God, as a human, he talked about dependence on God like a little child. He said, I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do. And I don't say anything except what the Father tells me to say. He actually said, my food is to do the will of my Father. He's like, what sustains me? What, what gets me up in the morning? What, what gives me the energy to do what I do? What's, what propels me is the will of the Father. A child. You know, Jesus had this, he painted this picture of how he did what he did as complete dependence on the Father like a child. And he talked about life with God in the same way for us. Now this scripture I've actually looked up, so I'll go back to it. Uh, where, where is it? Here we go. I like this. This is really cool. Um, so there's a couple different instances in the Gospels. I don't know if these are the same story told in different ways, or these are actually different times where the apostles are arguing 
about who's the greatest and who's going to be first in the kingdom and who's going to have sit at that Jesus right hand. And Jesus says this. Um, let me go back to this is in Luke. No, I want to go to. <laughs> Bear with me. This is Matthew. He's like he says. This is Jesus talking to the disciples because they're arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, says he calls a child to sit with him in front of the disciples. And he says, truly, I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom. And whoever receives a child in my name receives me. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, uh, actually, we don't know how old this child was. I mean, I, we imagine maybe a child that is five or six or ten. But it's true, in Jewish culture, you are actually considered a child until 30. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if they had the distinctions we did but when you read the word child, what I'm saying is when you read the word child in Scripture, it, can, it refers to a wider slice of age group, of an age group than we would think. You were not considered a full, a full adult until 30. You couldn't sit in, in, in the meetings of the elders. You, you know, there was a lot of things you couldn't do until you were 30. But um, that was just a random side note. But... I think this child he calls in front of him is a young, young child. And I'm sure if I looked up the Greek, <laughs> it might give us more uh, inclination. But Jesus modeled the same behavior of the same childlike trust in the Father. And he tells the disciples when they're talking about being great in the kingdom, great meaning who's the most prominent and the most powerful. And if you don't know the prevailing idea of who the Messiah would be and how the Messiah would come and what the Messiah would do was, was as a conquering military king leader like David and like Joshua. Um, that's what they thought. They thought the Messiah would come like a conquering military leader and defeat Romans and establish the Jewish kingdom and the Jewish state all over again like a military state. And so, like, I, I say that just to let you know, like, when they're talking about being the greatest in the kingdom of God, they're talking about power and prestige. They're talking about position and authority over people. They're talking about being second, second, being the right-hand man of the most powerful military political leader in the world. That's, why, that's what they're thinking, Right. They think Jesus is the Messiah. The problem is they think the Messiah is going to be a military conquering king. And they're, they're poised as the closest 12 to this Messiah who's gonna, who they think is going to become this great military leader and, and reestablish Israel as the preeminent nation in the world. And so when they're talking about being the greatest, this isn't just some petty ego game where they think Jesus is just this meek and mild Jewish rabbi who's also the Messiah and they don't have any idea the kingdom he's setting up. They're talking about serious position and power here. They're wrangling amongst themselves for something in their mind that is like out of this world kind of power. And Jesus setting a child before them and saying, you've got to be like this. They've got in their mind second in command to the most powerful king in the world. And Jesus shows them a child. <laughs> Do you understand the difference? They're picturing, they're picturing a position with so much power and prestige because the Messiah is going to come and conquer the world, literally, politically, militarily. And Jesus, in showing them, he's like, unless, he says that, unless... You become like children. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. They're thinking the kingdom of heaven is going to be this earthly, king, this earthly kingdom. It's going to become an earthly kingdom that's going to have... And, and the prophets talk about it in this way. But they're thinking it's going to be this military 
campaign that establishes this literal earthly kingdom. And Jesus is basically saying, you don't even know what the kingdom of heaven is or is about. And if you want to get into it, you've got to become like a little child. The thing is, Jesus modeled what it was like to be a little child in the kingdom, what it was like to be completely dependent. That's what it means to be a child. I have kids. My kids are let's see, 10, 9, and 5. My oldest and youngest both have birthdays in January, so they'll, they're going to be soon a year older. But 10, 9, and 5. I know what it's like to have little kids. You know, sometimes it's like I get up in the morning. I want to get my breakfast. I've got to get their breakfasts first. They want an egg. I got to cook them an egg. I got to get them their chocolate milk. I got to get them their cereal. I got to help get the bowl. You know, we are starting to teach them, and they're at an age where we're starting to teach them. Um, sorry, I just realized I wasn't watching my recording device, and I was like, "Oh, is it still recording?" Uh, we're starting to teach them. You know, how to do things for themselves, of course, but also how to help around the house. We, we have them unload the dishwasher, we have them help put away folded clothes. But still, like, a child between 5 and 10 is pretty dependent. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about dependence. He's talking about being in a state where you can't even take care of yourself in some of the most basic ways. You, you don't know how to work and earn a living and pay rent and buy food at the grocery store and use a credit card and use cash and you don't know how to cook a meal. You don't know, you know, you barely know how to open the fridge and pour yourself a drink. <laughs> like, that's what Jesus is talking about. Being a child. Helpless, dependent. And that's what Jesus modeled. Jesus went around looking to the Father in every moment, what to do, what to say. Jesus' identity, purpose, mission, life was so intertwined with the Father. He saw things through the lens of how his Father, how God saw the world. He let God be his vision and be his purpose. My food is to do the will of my Father. Jesus was saying, what sustains me, what drives me, is dependence upon somebody else, upon the the best father and mother in the universe. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit before he started his ministry. That's our mother. (laughs) Jesus Jesus was like a child. You know, I, I think about, I think it's kind of funny how, especially millennials talk about adulting. And I think about my own struggles to become an adult. Um, I experienced trauma as a young child, and trauma changes, like even on a physiological level, it changes you. It, it, it stunts a lot of social growth. Like you become focused on survival. You become su- focused on surviving deep and traumatic Circumstances, and that's kind of my childhood. That was my childhood. Um, now, I, you know, on the surface, if I, you compared my childhood to a lot of other more traumatic circumstances, you probably might not say it was that traumatic. But I was a very sensitive child. My dad had a temper, he lost his temper. You know, it wasn't that often, but when he did, it was explosive. He could become explosive. I mean, one time he threw me against the wall because he didn't like my haircut that I had just gotten paid for by myself. I was, you know, old enough to have a job. I had a paper route. You know, I went and got a haircut that was popular at the time. It was the 80s. I got my hair cut short and spiked. I went down. I walked. I might have rode my bike, but I walked down to the local barber, paid money out of my own pocket that I earned for a haircut and I come home and I get thrown against the wall because my dad didn't like my haircut which more than likely he was already angry about something else and I me walking in was just the last straw but that was my childhood a dad that could be nice and laugh a dad who was a pastor a missionary but a dad who had his own demons and whose father was just like that as well, who was very abusive physically. 
But for me, as a child, a lot of things, a lot of wires got crossed. Some of the wires got broken, I suppose. But um, I also had a couple other things. Like, I, I was very socially stunted into my 20s. And that's why, you know, I was depressed. I struggled with anxiety. I struggled with a great deal of fear about the world. I felt, I felt alone. I felt unprotected. I felt like a child, even into my 20s. I, I've struggled definitely to grow up. I think they call that Peter Pan syndrome. <laughs> I have struggled to figure out what it's like to be an adult, what it means to be an adult, what it means to be a, a man, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father. And I know we all struggle. Like, this isn't a woe is me pity party either. I'm just saying I struggled in unusual ways because of my childhood trauma. I also had ADHD, um, which if you don't know, ADD kids, ADHD kids are just also socially stunted. They typically are behind. They just don't get social cues. My oldest son is actually autistic, and autism is the number one defining factor is social awkwardness or social, not understanding social dynamics. And I'm not saying I had autism or have or whatever, but I can identify with those struggles. I, I've str- I struggle to understand social interaction and relationship and to understand who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to grow up into. I've struggled to become an adult <laughs> for sure. And I've had some outstanding you know, um, factors in that journey. But one thing I know for sure, that while I've struggled, and I've, those struggles have been great, struggling to figure out, to find a career, all those things that, that it means to be an adult and to kind of find your way through the world and your place in the world. Like, I've struggled with all of that. But one thing that I know the silver lining, you could say, is that I've kind of always been childlike. I can tell you I haven't known how to do life without my father. I haven't known how not to depend on God. I found it very difficult to, to function without knowing that God was with me. I've always had a childlike wonder and dependence on God. And so... Looking back, though I've struggled, I can see how that struggle has actually been a great gift and a blessing. Maybe the worst thing in the world that we could do is think we have life figured out and think we have all the angles covered and think everything is in our hands and we know what the world is, we know what the world is like, and we know how to work it. That's what it means to be an adult. Have you ever thought about that? Being, a, being an adult. I mean, look at children and look at adults. Kids are like, I don't know. Let's go. Is this safe? I don't know. Let's give it a try. <laughs> Kids are just running around, blurting out whatever they think. You know, if they need to fart, they fart. There's nothing taboo for children. There's just a wonder and an excitement. My kids, we can't keep them in bed in the mornings. <laughs> when they wake up, if they wake up at 5 or 5.30 or 6, they're raring to go. The, the world is full of wonder and excitement and adventure. Adults, what do they do? They get up. Oh, they're groggy. It's like, oh, I have to get up. My body doesn't feel good. I'm sore. Oh, just... I got to shove some coffee down my throat as quick as I can so I can uh, get up and face this day. Adult, adults do not get up with wonder and excitement. They're not like ready to embrace a new day. Maybe if you're going on vacation, there's things we do get excited about, right? It's Friday. We're going to go, you know, get our six pack on or we're going to go hit the bars or go out to eat or go to the movies or get a new game and, and spend the weekend on our Xbox or PlayStation. But, I mean, in general, I think being an adult means having everything figured out. Like, if you, if you really sat down and tried to define being an adult, it, means you, it doesn't mean that you do have everything figured out, but it means that you're supposed to, right? You've got to pay the bills. 
You've got to make ends meet. And you've got a job which requires you know stuff and get stuff done. I, th- I think in many ways being an adult, whether we realize it or not, is simply having to look like you've got things figured out and act like you've got things figured out. No surprises. No unknowns. No mystery. No wonder. I think being an adult, we have come to think of being an adult as living a life with no wonder, no adventure, no risk. If anything is the thief of wonder, it is certainty. Trying to have everything figured out, or at least look like you have everything figured out, and never being open to new ideas, new adventures, and wonder and excitement. Being an adult can feel like a dead end and a rut, not an adventure. But I'm here to tell you that God does not have a dead end journey for you, walking the same short, small path over and over and over. It's interesting, Jesus frames, he, he talks about the God path and the world path. He talks, he calls the world path wide and full of many people. But he talks about the God path as narrow. A lot of times people translate that, I think, incorrectly into this idea that God's high standards are so stringent that it's like a narrow path and it's like a ra- walking a razor blade tightrope, right? And you can't hardly step to the left or the right or you'll fall off that. Like, that is a fearful picture of what walking with God is like. I think it's a narrow path because it's a path only for one person. God has a path just for you. The wide path, think about the wide path. It's the path that's well-trodden. It's probably paved. It's because everybody's walking it. It's the pre-prescribed and the standard and the common It's doing the thing that everybody else is doing. That's why everybody's on that wide path. That's why it's so wide. It has to be wide because everybody's walking it because it's the path. It's the path of least resistance. It's the path that everybody is going on. It's the standard way of living. Does that make that's what I'm saying? It's that's what that wide path is about. And of course, scripture says that path leads to destruction. We often think about that in terms of heaven and hell, which again, I don't think so. We think about these things sometimes in, in pre, two pre-prescribed ways. But, I mean, what Jesus is saying is there's a, there's a wide path that is just following the cultural norm of growing up and getting the job and getting the house and getting the mortgage and, you know, paying your bills. That leads to destruction because it's not life-giving. It doesn't lead to what is thriving. It doesn't lead to the adventure that God has planned for you. The narrow path is simply the path made just for you. It's narrow. I mean, I walk paths and, and I'm out walking paths, right? Some path, And I'll, sometimes I'll come out with friends. I always look for the wider path so we can walk side by side because we talk. We, I come out to the woods and just as I come out here to talk with God or talk with you, I come out sometimes to talk with friends. And sometimes there are paths that are so narrow we have to walk front to back. Those paths are a single person path. That is the path God has for you. It is a path of adventure and wonder. It's a path nobody else has ever walked before. (laughs) It is exciting. It is full of risk, too. It's full of fear sometimes because it's unknown. It's uncharted. Nobody else has ever walked it before. Do you want the narrow path or do you want the wide path? The wide path is, there's no wonder, there's no excitement. Everybody around you is walking that path doing the same things you're doing. Working the 9 to 5, the 40 hours a week. (coughs) Only looking forward to the weekend, and the weekend is too short. And you're just getting by, and you're just plodding along in life. And nothing, nothing, nothing is out of place. Nothing is uncertain. And that can feel like comfort sometimes, but it can also feel like dying. That wide path is a path of destruction. It is also the path of thinking that you have to figure everything out and thinking that you have everything figured out. There is no wonder, no mystery when you think you have everything figured out. There's no room for mystery. I mean, to be honest, we know we don't have everything figured out. We know there's unknown stuff. 
But I think part of being an adult means finding a place, a rut, a place that you can become an expert and you can know your stuff and you can just live in that place. And we do that with religion too. We know what we know. We have our theology. We have our tradition. We have our denomination, our pet doctrines. And we have to know. We argue from what we know and we live out of what we know. And the unknown has no room. That is what's called an ego stance. An ego stance is, you can't tell me because I know. I mean, look at conversations on Facebook. I am about full up of how we converse and interact. Everybody is standing in their corner from their particular vantage point and their understanding and saying, no, I know how it is and I can tell you and you need to know how it is because I know, being, you know, the stance of I know, that is an ego stance. It, the ego needs to, the ego needs to say that it knows because its, its identity is founded on being right, on rightness. That's a stance of never learning new things and never admitting that you don't know and never saying, you know what, maybe you have something to teach me. It's standing in your corner, in your, in your opinions, and in your views, and never expanding and growing. It's a space that actually becomes a shrinking space, not an expansive space. Like the wide territory that God wants to take you through, that, wants, want, that, that could be your life, is squelched by, our, by a desire, by an ego need for certainty. To appear like you know what you know it, and you are the authority, and you have it figured out, and nobody can tell you. There's this interesting concept in Buddhism called the beginner's mind, and uh, novice monks, beginning beginner monks, it's one of the things that they really first learn. This is one of the things they really try to teach beginner monks in Buddhism. It's called the beginner's mind. It's cultivating a mind, a, a way of, of, a way of perception, a way of kind of being in the world that says, "I don't know." You always enter every situation, every circumstance with "I don't know." That's why it's called the beginner's mind. It's a way of carrying yourself through the world that says, that, that doesn't say, "I know," and you need to listen to me, but it says, "I don't know. I need to listen to you." Do you see the difference? If children are anything, they are explorers. They're full of wonder because they're willing. They don't, they don't even need to admit that they don't know. They just don't know and they don't care. Like, it's okay not to know. Like, you will not get far with wonder if you think you know. If you're always talking from this vantage point of what you know and how you know and how important you are and how much expertise you have. We watch a show. I won't name names because <laughs> I might offend some people. There was a construction show where the the main guy doing the, the renovations is a very, very much a know-it-all. And I've just, I, I like the show and I think this person does know a lot. But their stance is always, well, did you know this? And, and I know that. And I, like, they're always, they're always promoting themselves and how much they know and they're always like lecturing everybody about the right way and they know the right way and everybody else is always doing it wrong and they always come in to a house their kind of mode is like well they didn't do that right and I wouldn't do it that way and and that's not that's not good enough and I would do it much better and like that's a good example of someone who does not have a beginner's mind who has to come in to every situation like they know it all and everybody needs to listen to them that's an ego driven person and we are all, for the most part, very ego-driven. Living like a child, as an adult, it's hard. It's counter-cultural. Jesus telling us to be like children under the guidance of our Father is not the norm. It is the narrow path. Having a beginner's mind like the Buddhists, coming into every situation, no matter what you do know, saying, you know, I'm going to listen I'm not going to come in with what I know. I'm going to come in with I don't know. That's how you learn. That's how children are in the world. 
they're not coming in trying to argue with you because they know, okay, well, that's starting to happen in my, <laughs> in my household, with my oldest especially. But that's what I'm talking about. Growing up sometimes means having to look like you know it all and never being willing to learn. But Jesus said the life of his disciples is like a child full of wonder and innocence and dependence on the Father. I am a mystic. I am a contemplative. My journey these last five years since my breakdown has been rediscovering how to do all of life in a new way. And that new way is dependence. There's this thing in in mysticism and contemplation called the dark night of the soul. I think this is such a fascinating concept. But it imagines this journey into deep, deep intimacy with God is this journey into darkness. It, it also imagines it as a journey out of our own mind and understanding. We're leaving our mind behind. We're leaving what we know. We're leaving familiar territory. <laughs> I'm loving these metaphors of walking and journeys, right? The dark night of the soul is literally, it's like, and I had this, I had, I've been through, I've, I've had this experience. It was, it's like leaving I mean, imagine like you're in a nice, well-manicured. Oh, have you seen Lord of the Rings? This is pretty good. Imagine that you're in this nice, cultivated pasture and there's like, maybe there's houses and there's a castle. And then there's the dark forest, right? I, um, I think there, are, I'm trying to remember, I've read all the books. I've collected, I've collected a lot of like pictures and, and um, auxiliary things with Lord of the Rings but like there is the dark forest there I can't remember there was a, I think there's a specific name for it but like imagine that you're in this bright beautiful countryside and everything's cultivated and like buildings and and then there's this forest I don't know if you remember the scene where I think it's when the orcs when they battle this group of orcs and there's this forest that's just gnarly and so dark, no light can get through it. And there is a forest in Lord of the Rings that's described like that. And that's, I think, the same forest in, that, in the movies. But, like, you step into that forest and it's like instant darkness. That's what the dark night of the soul is like. It's like, it's like you have this territory in you that is visible and seen, things you know. And it's about what you know. And it's light and bright. And then the dark night of the soul is God taking you on this journey into a completely, such a foreign place that you don't know anything and you can't get there. You can't even take a step in the darkness without being led. You know that verse. Um, there is an Amy Grant song. Thy word is lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Man, that's old school. <laughs> that's a verse in Psalms. Um, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And like, I, you know, you can imagine it like this little, holding this lantern, like a, uh, like an old school lantern, oil. I mean, these lamps in, that, in the time of the Psalms were oil. So a light, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Imagine that it's dark. And that kind of light would only illuminate the next step. Like walking in darkness. This is how it's imagined walking with God. This is the dark night of the soul. It's walking into a place where you cannot see anything. You cannot even see to take your next step. It's walking out of what you think you know about the world, about God, about how things work. And it's about stepping into a space where you cannot operate in what you know anymore. That's about dependence. Such an extreme kind of dependence The year after my breakdown, that was the dark night of my soul. That was my dark night of the soul. (laughs) And it was the dark night of my soul. But literally, I was so overwhelmed with anxiety and fear about everything. I didn't know how to function without God in every moment. Like showing me, helping me, walking with me. That is the kind of dependence that Jesus is describing when he talks about being like a little child. And the contemplative idea of a dark night 
is coming to a place where everything you thought you knew is wrecked and all the ways you thought you knew how to make the world work for you are just broken and the world doesn't make sense anymore and your life doesn't make sense anymore and you're struggling just to take one step after another. I remember that year after my breakdown, just picking out clothes was overwhelming for me. Getting up in the morning, going into my closet, picking out a shirt and a pair of pants. I, I had to pray through picking clothes. I was so broken. I was so overwhelmed. I was, so, I was in such darkness that I had to have guidance. I needed help just for the simple things. That's a child, people. A child. I get up every morning with my five-year-old, especially school mornings. I go up. I help her pick out her clothes. <laughs> I help her get dressed. <laughs> That's what it means to be like a little child. You can't do anything. The beginner's mind that the Buddhists talk about as an adult, do you know how hard that is? It's so different to how we think and act and are in the world. We think we know. We think we have it figured out. We think we are gliding along. There's a, there's a Paul Simon song. It's called Slip Sliding Away. Um, he says, uh, this, is, this is one of the, the verses. We're working our jobs, collecting our pay, believe we're gliding down the highway when in fact we're slip sliding away. <laughs> That's so true. We're working our jobs. We're collecting our pay. We believe we're gliding down the highway when in fact we're slip sliding away. There is a way that leads there's a way that seems right to man. This is in the Proverbs. But its end is destruction. The wide path leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to life. Do you see? Do you, do you hear? Do you see it? Do you, are you getting it? When we think we have it figured out and we think we don't need anyone and we're good and we can do it all and, there's, and, we, and we know it all. And we're operating out of only what we know. We're operating out of something so small. And we're not operating out of the bigness and the vastness and the wonder of God and what he has for us. There's, this, uh, there's another verse in Isaiah that came to my mind this morning. Hey, I'm on the ball today. I'm actually looking up verses. <laughs> I'm trying to be a little more scholarly. <laughs> uh, this is Isaiah 42. This is uh, it's verses 18 through 20. This is really interesting. God is talking through the prophet Isaiah to his people. And he's making these, it's so fascinating. He's making these, this juxtaposition between Israel and his preferred kind of, of um, person. So he's talking about what Israel is like. And so verse 18, this, he's talking to Israel. He says, here... You who are deaf, and look, you who are blind, so that you may see. Okay, so that's, he's talking about Israel. He's like, you're, you're deaf, and you're blind. But he's t- t- telling them, he's saying to the deaf, you need to hear. He's saying to the blind, you need to see. And then verse 19, he switches gears. So he's talking about Israel. They're deaf and they're blind. They need to hear, they need to see. And then he switches gears, and he says, who is blind but my servant? So now he's talking about someone else. He's talking about his idea an ideal servant who is blind but my servant or so deaf as my messenger whom i send who is so blind as the one who is at peace with me or so blind as the servant of the lord this is god's idea of he says this who is at peace with me or so blind as the servant he's talking about the person who is who is at peace with him who is in union with him. And then he, verse 20, and then he, he goes back to talking about Israel. You have seen many things, but you do not retain them. Your ears are open, but no one hears. You know, this is what Jesus quoted, talking in his day about the same nation of Israel. So this is so interesting, though. He's, uh, through Isaiah, God's talking about the blindness and the deafness of his 
people. But then he also says his preferred person is deaf and blind. Isn't that, <laughs> I mean, what's going on here? God doesn't like the deafness and the blindness of Israel, but he's saying, but you need to be blind and deaf like my preferred servant. He's talking about two different kinds of deafness and blindness. He says in verse 20, you have seen many things, but you don't understand them. Jesus said it this way, ever seen, never perceiving, ever knowing, never understanding. Your ears are open, and Isaiah says, your ears are open, but no one hears. He's saying, you think you know, you think you perceive, you think you understand, you think you get it, but you don't have a clue. Your way of seeing is blindness. Your way of hearing is deafness. But there is a blindness and a deafness that is actually seen. There is a, there is a blindness that is actually seen, and there's a deafness that's actually hearing the way I prefer. I want my servant to be blind and deaf because they are... What that means is you're blind. My servant is blind because they're so dependent on me leading them. And they're deaf because they're so dependent on me being their hearing for them and speaking to them. As Jesus said, I do nothing but what the Father tells me. I only say what the Father tells me to say. There is a blindness that we think is seeing. There's a blindness that is our way of seeing, which is actually blind to the way God sees. And there's a blindness which which is us no longer thinking or trying to see for ourselves, which is a dependence on God seeing for us. I love that verse in Isaiah. God paints this beautiful picture of his servant that is blind and deaf because they're so dependent on God. It's like walking in darkness. Going through the dark night of the soul, as, in, as contemplation teaches it, is learning to leave the blindness and the deafness of what you think you know and can do and who you think you are. That is true blindness and true deafness and entering into a place where you no longer are able to make the world work through your perception and your understanding and your strength and your ability. Becoming blind the way God prefers. Going through the dark night of the soul is going through experiences that really crush your own ability and show you how feeble and frail you are. I've been through that process. It was devastating. But it brought me back to life in a way that only God could. In a way that I, I in a way of teaching me how to be so dependent upon God. Where my life becomes God breathed. God-dependent, God-surrendered, where I can say like Jesus, my food is to do the will of my Father. Man, there is no greater place to be grounded than in that place where we know God so deeply and we also know God as our life. And God is our life. God is our wisdom. God is our strength. God is our direction where God is doing everything for us. Everything about where I am in my life right now is completely out of the box of where I thought I wanted to be, what I thought I wanted to do. I never wanted to work construction. I never wanted to run my own construction business. I was going to be a professor in a college, I thought. I thought I might be a theologian. I wanted to live in my head. I did not want to do physical labor. <laughs> Like everything about my path, especially these last five years, has been everything that God has brought me to and done for me. It's about, it's been, it's been, it's come about because I've surrendered what I thought I wanted and who, even who I thought I was. I've surrendered my ability to figure it out. Fortunately, that's been the journey I've been on my whole life, struggling but but the difference is it's a relief now to lean in and embrace it instead of wrestle against it, right? My whole life I've struggled to figure out who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing. And yet I've also had this great desire to be a spiritual teacher, to know God, to teach people about knowing God. But my whole life I've struggled trying to understand what it means to be an adult. And finally God brings me to a place where he's like, guess what? You don't have to figure it out. 
You don't have to figure anything out. This journey, this narrow path isn't about you figuring it out. It's about you trusting me because I've already figured it out. And doing that in ways that are so completely born out of dependence, like in every way. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, in our God journeys, like we we learn to surrender certain things to God. And sometimes we only surrender the things, <laughs> things when we're forced to, right? It's like we take the big things to God. Well, God's like the emergency button, you know, break the glass and get the tool out of the box or the hose. It's like the emergency plan. God is like our emergency uh, when everything else fails, right? And that's the opposite. Like we can handle it most of the time and we just, you know, when things struggle, when we're forced into it, when we can't handle it anymore, then we call on God and then we rely on God. Well, there's a lot of problems with that. One, that's not the picture. That's true blindness, relying on our own perception, our own ideas, trying to figure out our own way in life. But two, there's no good spiritual practice in trying to figure out how to follow God when everything's falling apart. If you don't know how to hear God really and follow and, and you're not practiced in obedience, you're not practiced in hearing God, really getting answers from God, and then being obedient, when things are going wrong, you're gonna, it's going to work even less. You can't. The time when everything's falling apart, or rather, when everything's falling apart, that is not the time to figure out how to hear God and follow God. That's the worst time. Like Spiritual disciplines are every day walking towards that more and more of learning dependence on God and everything. And when you, f- when you learn it in the quiet and the calm, you know how to do it when, in the storm and in the chaos. That's spiritual disciplines. We are to be learning how to hear God and follow God and be dependent upon God in every moment of our lives. Being blind like God prefers, being a child is knowing you can't handle anything. You can't figure anything out. But that's the beautiful thing is you don't have to figure anything out. You don't have to make anything work. I can tell you the kind of dependence that God desires from his kids is beyond what you can comprehend. Um, I'll I'll share this with you. This is is unusual. I spent six months. I went to, I had this experience with God. It was just a... I mean, I realize now it was more of a training exercise in a sense, but I spent six months with God giving me driving directions. I would say 80% or more of the time I was driving, I was opening my heart and mind to God giving me direction. I know that sounds weird, but what I mean is, I mean, most of the time I'm driving where I already know to go, right? I'm driving to work, I'm driving to church. But I began saying in this, I spent this six months work. I mean, God instigated this six months period for me. Like God brought me into this. It wasn't just I decided. But God spent six months teaching me to pay attention to how God was directing me. And it was through driving. This was just the lesson. But I literally would get in my truck and wherever I'm going, I would say, okay, I'm going to be open to how God wants to direct me. So if I would be, I know this sounds crazy, but I would be like, okay, God, I think God wants me to go left right here instead. One time I was actually returning stuff to a hardware store and God told me to go to the wrong hardware store. And I was like, hmm, okay, God, you know, I can't return this stuff to the wrong hardware store, different company. It was one, I got it from one big box hardware store and God told me to take it back to another, so I did. And they didn't accept it. But while I was in line, I saw a guy I'd been praying for, and I was able to talk to that guy and encourage that guy. Because I, because I went the wrong, because I went what I thought was the wrong direction, but what God told me was the right direction. I, that six months in particular, I was just saying, okay, God, I know where I'm going, but if you tell me to go this other way, I'm just, and I don't know what this road is or where this road leads, but I'm going to go, and I'm going to see what happens. That is a perfect picture of dependence on God. You think you know where you're going. You know how to drive. You know the roads. But saying, okay, God, I don't know anything about where I'm going or how even in this moment 
things are supposed to play out. That is the kind of dependence that God wants to teach us. I know it sounds crazy. It is crazy. It's, but it's only crazy because we've learned dependence. We've learned to go it alone to such an extreme that extreme dependence on God seems like it's the extreme. But it's not. Let me tell you what life is like waking up every day with a blank slate. Not knowing. Not waking up with the known and thinking I haven't figured out. Or thinking I have to figure it out. Waking up every day with the wonder of a child. Of saying, okay God, what do we get to do today? (laughs) Come on! I get up. I get up to do these podcasts at 6 o'clock in the morning because I'm excited. I'm excited about what I get to do. Even what I know I get to do. But I know that God has things for me I have no idea about. It is a life full of wonder when we are dependent and looking to God as our direction. When we are blind to our own understanding and our own wisdom and our own ways and our own path. And we're... We're just on that adventure with God. It is full of wonder. Yes, it can be scary. It can look like things aren't coming through. It can look like ends aren't getting met. But there is a peace to know. I'm just going to do what God shows me in every moment. My will is to do the... My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. There is a wonder and a grace and a beauty and there is a peace... There is a peace that comes when I don't have to figure anything out. I don't have to know anything. I wake up, everything is given to me by God. Even these podcasts that I do, I intentionally let God lead. This morning, God put it in my mind to look up. God brought that Isaiah verse to my mind and put it in my mind to look it up. There are times, like in the middle of the night last night, I was thinking about this podcast. I had, a, I had the title. I had that story that I started with. That's all I had. And I'm like, sometimes I do that. I, like, there's a wrestle. Sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I should say this. Maybe I should talk about that. And I'm like, no, okay, it's all right. Let go. Calm down, mind. You can't figure this out. This is God-led here. I'm on a God journey. This isn't me figuring anything out. Calm down. I mean, there's the wrestle. We default. I think we default naturally to trying to figure it out for ourselves. We have to learn, and it takes a daily practice of surrendering to God. That's what meditation is, clearing your mind, getting calm, focusing on kind of emptying your thoughts, being open to receiving. Um, That's pretty cool. In the, I'll go back to this real quick, that verse that I read to you about becoming like a child, um, in the message, I like how it says it in the message. It says, Um, he's talking about, again, they're arguing about being first, and he says, whoever accepts this child as if the child were me accepts me. And he says, you become great by accepting, not asserting. Your spirit, not your size, makes the difference. You become great by accepting, not asserting. Life under God's direction is a life that is given, not taken. It's a life that is given to you, and everything is given to you in every moment. That's complete dependence. That's the life of a child. A child under the authority and the rule and the protection of our Heavenly Father. A child. Everything is given. But do you know the wonder of a life where everything is given? The beauty, the excitement, the gratitude, the worship, the awe. Everything is given. Nothing is taken. Nothing is mine. Nothing is mine to keep or to try and get. Everything is given, which means everything can come to me. Everything can flow to me and everything can flow away from me. And it doesn't matter. I'm at peace because I know God brings to me what I need and he he takes away what I don't. Or he doesn't bring to me what I don't. Um, This past week, uh, I decided to take a couple weeks off before Thanksgiving to do some things in our house. We're having Thanksgiving at our house, which means we're having all the family over. And my house is a construction zone. We're remodeling our house. The kitchen is partly remodeled. I've replaced all the cabinets. Um, we've yet to put countertops in. We've got some makeshift countertops. There's, there's one section in the, in the kitchen 
that's the pantry section and it's just a mess it's like it's been at different stages and it's just it's workable it's got shelves but it doesn't look great and so i wanted to kind of get that tidied up and uh, I, I rebuilt stairs in my house and they didn't have railings so i wanted to put railings on them so i decided to take about two weeks off before thanksgiving to do all this work i just finished a big job you know we had kind of all our bills taken care of for this month and we had our rent for next month set aside or our mortgage, sorry. <laughs> I've only been I've only been a homeowner for about a year. Uh less than a year. But anyway, um but so I, and I had a small budget for myself to to do these to do the stuff at my house. Well, the fee for our website got automatically withdrawn from our business account and it overdrafted us. I had one small job this week. And it wasn't enough to get us back in the black. So I go to do the job. It was a real small job. Just doing a, I was repairing an old door. I had to custom build parts to the door and put it back together. But what I was going to make on this job wasn't enough to bring my business account back into the black. I get to the job. First thing I find out is the job to fix the door is less than I thought. And so the first thing I tell the customer is, you know what? I thought it was bigger and so... Uh, I charge you too much. I'm not going to charge you as much, you know. And she's like, oh, that, thank you. And she's like, actually, uh, this customer, they're trying to sell their house. In fact, they're having a walk through the next day. So she's like, actually, you know, if you could help me, I need, there's just some little things around the house, some spots on the wall that need to be touch, touched up with paint. And she's like, can you, can you um, just help me kind of get a few things together, you know, do the job that you were supposed to do and then do, you know, I was like, yeah, sure, sure. And I was like, you know what, that pretty much, we'll just call it even, you know, because um, I had charged you too much for the door. So we'll just kind of call it even. She's And so she's like, okay, that still wasn't going to, that, that, what I was going to make on this job wasn't enough to bring my account back to the black. So I do the job, you know, I could do the extra stuff, spent, you know, about three hours. <clears throat> I'm almost done. And she's like, you know, you're doing a lot of extra work. I'm going to pay you more than the estimate. I'm like, you know, I was fine with with you paying me the estimate. But if you want to pay me more, fine. Do the job. Get done. She pays me. It's more than enough to bring my account back into the black and give me the budget that I needed to do the remodeling in my house. I say that only to show that... Even when things don't look like they're working out, even when things look bad, even when things aren't working out and things are falling apart or look like they're falling apart, God comes through. I was so geeked and so thankful for how God provided what I needed in that moment. But you know what? I was also in a position, one, to let God provide, to trust that God would provide, not to freak out about it, and two, to see it wonder we live in a world full of wonder but are you blind to it are you deaf to it or are you blind and deaf like god desires which is in a way that makes you so dependent on god that you do see how god is moving in your world and in your life and how god's coming through and how god's providing or is it just another day and you're so focused on what you know and you're so boxed in by the limitation and the limiting view of only what you can do that you cannot see the wonder of a god who is all around you who is with you always with you filling you up taking care of you providing it's not a question of is god with you and is god Uh, providing and is the world full of wonder it's a question of are you able to see it and are you able to participate with it the life the, the contemplative life the life of a mystic is someone who's learned to see the wonder that is already here to see the wonder of a God who is here to hear God speak and to see God move to see and hear in a new way that looks like blindness to everybody else. Because it's not the wide path. It's not the common way. It's not the expected and the cultural norm. It's not you figuring it out and going it alone and only living out of what you know and can see. But it's living out of the vast, wide expanse of wonder and mystery of God.
What about the wonder? Do you live in the wonder? Do you wake up every morning embracing the day in awe and wonder with joy and, and hopeful expectation about what God will do? Not living out of what you know and what you think and only what you can see, but living out of the vast greatness of who God is and what God can see and what God can do. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father. You can live with that kind of sustenance too, with that kind of wonder. That's my call. That's my encouragement to you. Whatever you believe about God, whatever religion you might find yourself in or, or however you may hate religion, there is still a God of wonder that has a narrow path, a path just for you. A God that can be known. A God that is better and bigger than even a lot of religion teaches. A God who simply wants to walk with you through life and wants you to walk with him and her. And that is a life of adventure and wonder. Yes, there is risk. Yes, it can be scary. Yes, it may take us through a dark night of the soul where we lose our ability to figure it out. But we step into God's ability to show us. I'm telling you, it is. It's amazing. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm doing this because I followed not the path that I figured out and I put forth, but I followed. I've learned to follow the path God puts in front of me. And it's an everyday thing. It's an every moment thing. It's there for you too. Can you see it? If you can't see it, that's okay. You just need to learn to see in a new way. <laughs> Oh, I hope this is inspiring. I hope it encourages you. I hope it whets your appetite for more of God, to know God for yourself. This has been the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. As always, there's more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. I appreciate you guys listening and joining me. I hope that you are living life with wonder and leaning into the mystery of God and the mystery of you. There is so much in you, so much more, and so much more to your life to discover. I pray and I hope that you can know that and lean into that for yourself. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.